So I have a mentor in ministry who once described Advent as being the season when the church collectively stands on their tippy toes and looks over the head of Christmas. What he meant by that is Advent isn't just a season where we're waiting to celebrate Christmas Day come December 25th. It's also a time when the church anticipates Christ's second coming. Right? We are people who live in this great in-between because Jesus has already come. The Christmas story has already happened. And so now we're living in this time where we are waiting for that day when Christ will come again. And so here in worship throughout this season, we are studying scriptures and particularly the story of one individual uh, in particular, that of John the Baptist. John, of course, was Jesus' older cousin, but he was the person who went out ahead of Jesus to prepare the way, to instruct the people that when Jesus came, they might have eyes to actually know what it is they were witnessing. And so too it is for us in this season, we're revisiting John's life in hopes that some of the, some of the lessons that he teaches us might help to open our hearts and our eyes, that we might glimpse that day when Jesus comes, that we might be able to see those glimpses as Jesus comes even now. So we began last week with the story of the angel visiting John the Baptist's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And this week, we get to the point in the story where John is born. And the word that we're going to be invited to consider this week is this word, surrender. So let us listen now for a word from God as we seek out in the story of John's birth where God might have something for us to surrender and service to him. We pick up in the story in the first chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 57th verse. Let us listen once more for God's word. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives, they heard that the Lord had shown Elizabeth great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. The crowd said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to John's father. Remember last week, Zechariah was struck speechless there in the temple, and his tongue is still a little tied at this point. And so they make signs to Zechariah to find out what he would like to name the child. And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things and everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit at that point, and he prophesied, singing, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. 
salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, Zechariah concludes, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Send your spirit into our midst now that it would stir here in this your gathered body. That through its work, O God, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I remember a devotional that my friend Andrew Whaley once gave at a gathering of pastors on the topic of John the Baptist. There's this one particular thing that he pointed out that stuck with me. He said, you know, when you think about it, John the Baptist, he had it all. John the Baptist had pedigree, He was descended from a long line of priests, the religious elite of his day. But even more than that, his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they are these examples of faithfulness in the biblical narrative that is rivaled only really by that of Abraham and Sarah. This couple who God comes to in their old age and and promises something that is as ridiculous as it is unlikely, that they would have a child, and yet they trust. And they believe that when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. John comes from good stock. Not only that, he lives in Jerusalem, which is the social and economic and religious capital of effectively the world as far as they knew it. As he gets older, we'll find, too, that John has this unusual power to draw people to him. We'll read in his story about how all of Jerusalem and Judea, they come out into the wilderness to hear John preach and to be baptized by him in the Jordan. He has charisma, John does. And the people power and the pedigree, when they combine, it gives John a certain amount of earthly power as well. So much power, in fact, that later in his story, another powerful person named Herod will feel threatened by John, will be afraid of his power, and John will ultimately lose his life as a result. He's got pedigree, he's got people, he's got power. John the Baptist, he's got it all. And who could have blamed him had he chosen to use all of that for himself? John could have followed in his father's footsteps and had a comfy life there in Jerusalem. 
John could have used that charisma and built a celebrity for himself. He could have taken all of that power and finally restored Torah faithfulness there in Jerusalem. But John doesn't, does he? John the Baptist's story from start here in Luke 1:57 all the way to the end, it is a story of surrender. John surrenders his life to serve an entirely different purpose. Now, there's another one of those words we don't use all that often, surrender. I suppose in part, at least, it's because it carries this connotation of of weakness, of, of capitulation, of failure even, especially in our society where louder is better and angrier is acceptable and And there's often this mentality throughout many aspects of our lives where it's win at all costs, right? Failure is not a word that we often like to dwell on. In fact, I suspect for many of us, it's the last word we really would ever want to be associated with. And yet surrender is the very word that defines and directs John's life. And I want to suggest that perhaps surrender in this Advent season, surrender should be the word that defines and directs our lives as we prepare not only for Christ's coming, but for Christ's coming again. To understand what I mean, we just need to go back and and look again at that first half of our reading this morning, that verse or verses rather that are concerned with John's naming right there's that back and forth where they bring John for the ceremony and they ask what his name is and Elizabeth gives a name that is not a family name and the crowds are like whoa this isn't right they go to Zechariah and he confirms her choice names have a special meaning they carry weight in that ancient culture there was this belief then that a child's name in fact could forecast their life's mission Their name, in other words, it could forecast what their purpose in the world would be. But even more than that, there was this privilege that every father had, perhaps one of the highest privileges in their life, to name their child after themselves. But Zechariah, Zechariah begins John's life by surrendering that privilege. And together with Elizabeth, he names the baby John. Now, I don't want to go too deep here, but John in the Hebrew, it means God is gracious. God is gracious. That's John the Baptist's name. God is gracious. And it occurred to me that, you know, John could have interpreted his life's mission with a name like that one of two ways. He could have interpreted his name to mean God is gracious to me. And he would have had every reason to believe that. After all, he's got pedigree, he's got people, he's got power, he drives a nice car, he lives in the house that everyone else wants to live in, he's got a fat 401k. John has every reason to think that that God is gracious. Yes, God is gracious to me. But that's not the life John lives. From the beginning, John surrenders everything in his life so that the only thing his life 
points towards is the one in whom God's graciousness becomes incarnate. John doesn't point to himself. John points with his very life to the one in whom God's graciousness becomes incarnate. So I drop my kids off at school three times a week. They go with mom the other two days. And usually my route from school to church, which is typically where I'm headed afterwards, takes me on Demerie to the Circle, and then I go south on Frederica Drive, sometimes with a stop at Sandy Bottom Bagels. <laughs> but it's wild. Do you all ever have routines in life where you start to notice other people who have the same routine, right? You're doing something about the same time every day, and you suddenly start to notice the same cars or the same people also doing the same thing about the same time in the same place every day. So there's this guy who walks on the bike path over here along Frederica Drive. Is it drive? It is drive, right? Road. Road. There you go. I could see people that are like, he's got it wrong. <laughs> there's this guy who walks along Frederica Road. I guess every weekday, maybe every day, I don't know, about 8 a.m., because that's when I'm driving down. And the reason I remember this guy is because every single car that comes towards him, he waves at. I mean, you can see him from like a mile away down at the end of the runway as you're going that direction, and you see him waving. Now, it's not one of these like, I mean, this guy does the I mean, he has this huge smile. He makes eye contact, even though I don't think he can see anyone going past him because they're going so fast. And he waves at them. Now, I have no idea who this guy is. Maybe someone here does. For all I know, he's a retired teacher or chef, or maybe he's a garbage man or the CEO of Coca-Cola. I, I have no idea. But what I do know is that here is a person who surrenders something in order to point others towards something else. He surrenders, to be specific, the customary bike path etiquette that applies around here, which is generally keep your head down and make sure you don't get hit by a bike coming up from behind you. He doesn't adhere by those rules. And the reason he surrenders, or the result of it, rather, is for a singular purpose. He wants people who are coming down the road to know, I see you. He wants the day laborer who was up until 10 o'clock the night before painting someone's house, who's now coming up the road at 8 a.m. to go back to the same work site, guzzling coffee, trying to wake up, the day laborer with ladders rattling on the roof in the car that their very livelihood depends on and yet which might break down at any moment. I see you. He wants the, the teacher, the dentist. He wants the golfer. He wants the lawyer. He wants the pastor. He wants the anxious teenager on their way to, to a test at school or the widower who's struggling just to get out of bed every day. 
He wants them to know someone cares about the fact that you woke up today. I would go so far as to say he wants to know you to know that someone loves you. Now, I know this is the preacher in me who's been thinking about it probably more than is healthy. But to me, when I see him wave, and he does it to every single car, every single day, what he's really doing is pointing. He's pointing to the one who has come and the one who will come again for you and for you and for you and for me. At his birth, John the Baptist has everything. Everything. But he never forgets his God-ordained and his God-named purpose. Friends, listen, whether you have a lot or you have a little, all of us, we have it all. Look at where we are. Look at where we wake up. Look at where we get to move and have our being. We have it all. And what John the Baptist is calling us to is to surrender. To surrender our belief that, that by having it all, that means we can have it all. Because we can't. There is only one who has it all. There's only one who can give it all. So friends, may our lives in this Advent season, may this be a time when we too can wave and point with our very lives to the one who is God's graciousness come incarnate. May it be so not just in this season, but always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.